Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. IU football has a new coach. Seems like a decent enough cat, but I don't know if getting a hire from James Madison University is what the Hoosier program had in mind. I don't know if it satisfies, and I don't know if this is a Band-Aid because maybe you can't get the coach you want because maybe when you're talking about Big Ten coaches, they want to be coaching in programs that are actually committed to winning. Or maybe I'm being too hard on IU. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. JMV joins us, 93.5, The fan, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, there is nothing really negative to say about Kurt Signetti, uh, who is the new IU football uh, coach coming from James Madison. Um, let's start with uh, the positives. Give me a CV. Give me the word uh, on, as he calls himself, Coach Sig. Well, the guy has uh, you know, been a program builder from what I've read. I, I haven't known really too much about him until most recently with the success he's had, certainly at James Madison. Um, you look at it that way, um, it, it seems to me, and again, I don't have a great deal of knowledge about him because I've truly just started studying here in the past 48 hours or so when it became clear that he was going to be that choice of the top of Scott Dulce's list. But, you know, it, it appears he does have the, the attributes, the fire, the drive, the, you know, I don't want to say the against all odds mentality. That's probably unfair to James Madison comparing it to IU. But, but you have to have that at IU because the reason why, Tony, nobody, some people weren't thrilled with the hire is because that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get some that are saying, hey, we've been down this path before and it hasn't worked. Why is this going to be different? And then you got others suggesting, and really this is split down the middle, you know, you get somebody new and it's great. We're glad we have that. There has just been no evidence of success for such a long time. The negative is going to outweigh the positive. But I have zero problem with Scott Dolson going in this direction, 62 years of age. And again, if you look at some of these past, interviews he's had he's got a little fire in him which is what you're going to need and and hopefully he can add some inspiration now I told you this earlier this week this is just a major first step but a major second step is going to be to be competitive in the world of NIL that is where you're going to see if they ever can this football program make up some ground and be competitive in an ultra competitive Big Ten so you got your coach now you got to make sure you completely solidify and continue to build while we live in the NIL era right now, that NIL stockpile of cash with donations. That's next. So first, NIL name image likeness. And yes. we've said, Tom Allen said this on his way out the door. You guys are not prepared to get the players that you need, which I thought was a, it was a little bit of a scummy thing to do while you're getting $15.5 million. Say, hey, my players suck because I couldn't go get the good players. But there is something to be said for if we need to be able to compete to get the best players. And to do that, we're going to need sponsors who are willing to write checks on the NIL side because, well, these guys are getting paid to play football now. So here's the reality that we're in. And you're saying that Coach Sig uh, Signetti is a guy who is down with that. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you have to be. And really, it's even far past him. I mean, it's really everybody. It's funny. I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Matt Rule, head coach of Nebraska, 
and I don't know if his number is overblown or not. Uh, his number was to have a good quarterback in this era of NIL is going to cost you between one and two million dollars, which is an incredibly sobering thought. Tony, I had a conversation with a booster at IU to try to figure some of this out earlier this week. And, you know, he felt that further down the road, the NIL stockpile that you're going to have is going to even be more important than the salary you end up paying your coach. So it, it kind of makes sense to me. And it's not like anybody with a big name mentality is probably going to drop into this program. But I, I don't think this was necessary. I'm okay with this hire because this is a guy, and then again, at first I check test, looks like he's a guy that's going to grind. He's going to go at it hard. He's been building programs. He's taking James Madison to the point where they're getting national notoriety for their football program right now. But then the most important is going to be what you're going to be able to do within NIL. And, and again, making sure you continue to create that level of money. He's got a lot of work to do, too, because you got a lot of dudes that are the transfer portal. Maybe they come back. Maybe they don't. I mean, you're going to have to build a team and a lot of this. So, yeah, there's a ton on the table. But the two most important aspects, getting somebody that buys into NIL right now, which he, he does, and then making sure that you can at least be competitive with those middling teams in the Big Ten. That's where you want to start. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5, 107.5, the fan. By the way, James Madison, 11-1. and one. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, fine work. 5-1 and one at home, 6-0 and oh, uh, on, on the road. Uh, what should IU fans, what should Hoosier football fans uh, get ready for with uh, Coach Signetti coming in? Um, well, I think you're going to do some up-tempo stuff, at least offensively, to, to the eyeball test. It looks to be enjoyable. And again, Tony, very little sample size that I have seen because prior to this, I really didn't concentrate too much on James Madison football. But offensively, his style is up-tempo, and that will be exciting. And we'll see if maybe, you know, some players get excited about that. Hey, you know, I look at this offense, you give me a little bit of money, maybe get some players that are talented on the outside, find yourself a quarterback and start from there. But I think, I think people from what I've seen will be happy in the style of offense in which he plays because much like Tony, the NIL era we're in, that style of up and down offense is also in right now too. So I think Hoosier fans would be excited about that. Let's move it over to the Indiana Pacers. I caught your uh, post on uh, Twitter X. I think it was last night. I think it was last night. Or, yeah, I think it was last night. Um, was it, did, uh, it, did it say vomit? Yeah, vomit it did. It. It's, yeah. It said that the Pacers uh, in fourth quarter looked like like vomit. Uh, now, they yeah. do, there's clearly no defense from this Pacers team, but no. what, what specifically in the fourth quarter yesterday in the loss to the Heat, 142 to 132, uh, reminded you of some kind of uh, puking? They were already playing without Tyler Hero. I don't even think Butler was in the game. They they got their distance in the fourth. They put up 42, 44 points, 44, I think, in the fourth quarter. And if you remember, Bam uh, Adebayo went out in the third and did not return. So they put up 44 in the fourth with a lot of dudes that wouldn't normally be spending a lot of time out there. That was Miami was a loser of, I think, three straight coming in it was just another embarrassing defensive quarter for a team that has to be tony it has to be better than that i don't know where you find it i don't know how you find it i question whether or not they have that mentality that capability defensively at all 
to raise the bar on their team. I, I, I just, I mean, you're going to have to put up 135 at 140 every night, like it's you know some pickup game to be able to win a game, and that is not sustainable. And that's what we're witnessing right now in that fourth quarter defensively, and what they gave up without really mainline outside of Jimmy Butler, Miami players out there that is what made it vomit worthy. And but it wasn't just, whoa, whoa. he may be in the market for a little bit more of that. I'm jumping in. It wasn't just last night when we talked about defense and the Pacers. There is yeah. no defense with the Indiana Pacers. None. From the very None. first game of the season to that loss uh, uh, yesterday against the Heat, there is no defense on this team. Now, does that mean there are no defensive players, or does that mean Rick Carlisle hasn't come up with a strategy yet to create some defense? means both i think they're trying to come up with a strategy but i yeah it's both tony i mean it really is they they don't have the guys and that people are going to say well it's way too early in the season i said okay it does not look like to me that they have the potential to again raise the bar to where it's going to be necessary you don't have to put up 135 in a game to win that's what's problematic and again as the season goes along you're going to face certainly better teams but also is if you think you're playoff worthy Teams aren't going to allow you to put 135 and 140 up in the postseason. That's when things tighten up. So, and that's further down the road, don't get me wrong. But right now, it does not look like coaching staff, head coach, and the players have any defensive answers. And, yeah, it was was really making you sick to your stomach watching that mess last night in the fourth quarter, I guess, the Heat. Is there somebody to bring in? Like, you know, you just had Herb Simon sell off another 15% of the team for 500-some-odd million dollars. They're still going to keep control there, the Simon family, and I'm not surprised by that. Uh, But Steve Rake's coming in, a billionaire in his own right, coming in to buy now owning 20% of 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 this team. Uh, Do they now have some cash where they can go about, you know, getting some of these players that you might want? And is there anybody you're targeting? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't, I mean, really, I haven't really thought about who they may be able to bring in more than, all right, are, are they going to be stuck to the group that they have right now? And the answer to that is, is no, you got a guy like Buddy Heald that I thought Buddy Heald was incredibly necessary. Certainly the score, you know, 135, 140 in a game and keep up that pace. He's necessary. But then, you watch a night last night when they couldn't throw it in the Atlantic Ocean from Miami Beach in Miami, a three-point range, and he was a part of that. And you can't go through it because you are assured a loss if you're out there with Buddy Heald and he doesn't shoot it well because he is chief among them not being able to guard you, Tony Katz, and that's problematic. So, you know, he's going to be on an expiring deal. We thought maybe by the trade deadline, you know, he might find some offers someplace else and the Pacers trade him. I This right now, they have, I want to say, five at least, including that play-in game, which is at home, uh, the quarterfinals and the play-in tournament against Boston coming up on Monday. But then everything else after that um, is, is going to be on the road. The, there's some tests here. I mean, this is going to be, all right, let's size this up, and are we where we want to be right now? Or is it time to go ahead and look at this and see what we need to do different? I think at the end of being on the road, depending upon, again, what happens, this is something that they're going to evaluate and think, yes, there's no doubt we can't live like this. we got to go out and find something else. But, again, this is going to be in the next couple of weeks a huge testimonial as to where and who this Pacers team is. And, you know, right now a game over 500 
especially defensively. There's not a lot of people thrilled about that. We move it over to the NFL, talking to JMV. He's the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 5, the fan out of Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor not in the game. He's got the thumb surgery on the right hand. Zach Moss will carry the load, and somebody better give him a load of money and keep him all wrapped up. Going up against Tennessee, taking place in Nashville. Um, you know, every game is must win if they actually want to try and make a run for, for the yeah. playoffs and possibly a wild card. Remember, they're only two back behind Jacksonville, and I'm not sure of their schedule, but everything is, is possible. Size up this game for me in Nashville. Uh, well, you must win. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, first time around, uh, they got Tennessee for the first time in forever. That had been something Jim Irsay had a problem with because he was kind of jealous. He liked Mike Vrabel and the way Mike Vrabel coached, and Mike Vrabel continuously, most recently, got over on the Colts, and the Colts got it back. But that was a different set of circumstances. If you remember, that was the game in which the shoulder injury um, came down on Anthony Richardson. So he was actually a part of that game, and then Menchu came in and played pretty well after that. And Tennessee's 4-7. and seven. They've been incredibly disappointing, but most of that disappointment, Tony's been on the road. They've been good at home per a lot of teams in the NFL. So this is going to be an incredibly difficult test. And I'll start right here. First things first, Gardner Minshew, don't turn it over. Don't turn it over. Don't be your own worst enemy. And I'll further go with that is Shane Steichen. Don't put him in situations to where he can turn it over, to where he's uncomfortable. Because I still say they're going to try to throw the ball probably more than what we're thinking right now with Jonathan Taylor out. You want to be able to run it with Zach Moss, but you don't want your quarterback to make mistakes and put your defense in a bad situation. Here's the other thing. Tennessee has a rookie quarterback in Will Levis. You make sure he's uncomfortable the entire time. Don't give him easy third down situations. Keep the pressure on him, thus keeping the pressure off of a secondary that's dealing with injuries and dealing with a great deal of, of, of lack of been there, done that mentality from their guys. That's where I would start on both sides of the football. That's how I think if you do those things right, you win the game. If you don't, it's going to be up in the air because even at four and seven, that is a tough call to make with a team that still like Tennessee plays well at home, Tony. So we'll stick with the defensive side of the ball just for uh, a, a moment. Uh, you're going up against Will Levis out of Kentucky, who I liked. I thought there was a possibility the Colts would take him. They took Anthony uh, Richardson, and then, of course, the injury out for the rest uh, of the season. Is Will Levis a guy who's going to respond negatively to the pressure? It, it's going to be uh, uh, pay off the end and, and Zaire Franklin uh, directly up the middle to try and get him to get some happy feet? Or is this the kind? Is That's this is it hope. the kind of thing where it's Kenny Moore sneaking around and grabbing that interception and demoralizing that way? I talked to Tony Zaire Franklin the day before yesterday, and he said, "Man, nothing is a game changer more than when our guys put consistent pressure on the quarterback." And you magnify that, Tony, with Will Levis being the rookie, big arm, no doubt about that. Had a great first start, if you remember, against the Atlanta Falcons about a month ago but hasn't really done anything since that point in time. So you don't want him to get off the mat in this particular game. But I, I, I agree with Zaire when he said, you know, when we got guys coming off the end, he talked about Dio um, as well, getting some pressure. And then obviously DeForest Buckner. And here's the other key. This is the final game where Grover Stewart's going to be out with that PED suspension. And this is facing Derrick Henry. So that's going to be that final obstacle that has been rough for this Colts team defensively up front to get around. You have seen teams be able to run the football against them 
that wouldn't normally be able to because Grover Stewart isn't out there. So this is going to be a test as well. Derrick Henry is not what he once was, but he is still an incredibly formidable threat. And without Grover Stewart, that is magnified. But I agree with Zaire Franklin. You get some pressure off the edge. You continue that pressure against Will Levis, force him into nervous mistakes, and then you have a really good chance to win. Uh, on back to uh, offense, uh, I noticed two things. First, in the world of tight ends, Will Mallory, who we discussed the other day, is yep. now second on the depth chart uh, at the tight end position. And then you take a look at that game just uh, last week, and you saw that Alec Pierce finally got involved. But Alec Pierce seemed to get involved in running some of those kinds of tight end routes. Um, are they cheating and playing a, a, a two tight end offense? Um, no, I, I, I think what they would like to do is be able to more establish their tight ends. And, and obviously one that we haven't talked too much about because he hasn't participated is that of Jelani Woods, who in the second year of the NFL was supposed to really have a breakthrough type of season. And we haven't seen him. He started out with a hamstring injury that evidently through rehab, um, had a setback with another hamstring injury. So that is a huge disappointment. And they're obviously not getting out of that position what they want. But I will tell you this, Tony, I think Will Mallory has the capability. He has shown in small sample sizes he's able to do that. So a little bit more attention to the rookie is maybe what you get in certain passing situations for the Colts. But here's what you're, you're going to end up seeing this. And it's been all Michael Pittman Jr. basically all the time with a mix of Josh Downs with healthier in there. You're going to see a ton, again, of Michael Pittman Jr. And we'll see if Tennessee tries to take him away, too, because it, you have locked in quarterback and wide receiver on this, and it makes you wonder what options the Colts may have if Tennessee directly on defense takes that option of Michael Pittman Jr. away on Sunday, which I would expect they would try to do. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, I appreciate you taking the time. This is Tony Katz today. On this vote, the yeas are 311, the nays are 114, with two recorded as present. Two-thirds voting in the affirmative, the resolution is adopted, and a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. The clerk will notify the governor of the state of New York of the action of the House. Under Clause 5D of Rule 20, the chair announces to the House that in light of the expulsion of the gentleman from New York, Mr. Santos, the whole number of the House is now 434. And just like that, George Santos is no longer a member of Congress. And there were people who said, I'm not going to vote uh, for this, and I'm not going to vote for this because I don't think we actually have the authority to expel somebody from the House. Of course they have the authority to expel somebody from the House. The question is, of course, I I think rationally, should they? And I think that's a legitimate question. Um, The guy is a fraud, and he stole. And I think the House is allowed to have a standard. And now that we've exhibited that the House can have a standard, can we apply it to the people who support Hamas? Like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and Andre Carson. That would be great. This is Tony Katz today.
going to share with you a story, and you tell me whether or not this is crazy. Because I think that economist Michael Hicks from Ball State University has been hacked. And and I wasn't going to bring this up, uh, but this started on my morning show. And it's continuing. I'm assuming he has been hacked. And since we're on the air on WMUN in Muncie, uh, I figured we might as well try and get to the bottom of this. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's the number. This starts with the debate yesterday, uh, DeSantis, Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, presidential candidate, Republican, Gavin Newsom, uh, Democrat, California, the governor of California, and very possibly uh, the next uh, presidential candidate for the Democrats, because anybody who thinks they're not going to replace Biden at the convention at this stage of the game, because I've said it's too late, it's too late, and then, of course, got reminded by you. This is the Democratic Party. They'll change Biden anytime uh, they want. And it is obvious now with all the negative press about Biden too old and infirmed and issues here. And now late night hosts are making jokes about him. Oh, did you miss that? Not me. You know, I'm here to do my job for you, kitten. This was, um, oh, what's his name? The loser. <laughs> like, that's not all. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. This was Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, his late night show the other day, it takes a little while to get there, I, I will I will admit, but the joke, if you will, does get there. It 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 he he brings it. Listen. Everything is a mess in Washington, including our national Christmas tree, which fell over last night <laughs> due to forty mile an hour winds. That's the tree. It fell over at around five o'clock and no one got video of it. 300 million iPhones in this country. Not one of them was pointed at the White House at 5 p.m. A moving truck outside Travis Kelsey's house, that they got, no problem. 40-foot tree almost falling in the White House, nothing. That's nothing, Jimmy Kimmel. We're not able to find out who brought cocaine into the White House, and they've got more cameras than the 300 million. But, but here's the joke he goes for. So this is why nobody believes in UFOs, by the way. <laughs> They had to lift the tree back up with a crane. The last national Christmas tree was planted in that spot back in 2021, but it had to be removed because it had a fungal disease. Now the new tree got knocked over by a gust of wind, which, by the way, fungal disease, gust knocked over by a gust of wind, also a good way to describe our last two presidents of this country. <laughs> Tomorrow night is... Now you could say that's a dig on Donald Trump all you want. That's a dig on Joe Biden. That's saying Joe Biden is old and frail, and that came from uh, the Democratic Party's late-night apparatus. So clearly, there is a a move. We all see it. We all know it, that Biden is too old. Biden's day is done. The only person who doesn't know it is Joe Biden. So as you have explained all too well, because you knew it first, they'll replace him at the convention, and absolutely they'll replace him at the convention they'll do it at the convention and i've got people saying well uh you look at this debate gavin newsom came across terrible and it's going to open up opportunities for pete Buttigieg." <laughs> actually in pete Buttigieg's own words <laughs> it's not opening up anything for pete Buttigieg. get real it's opening up everything for michelle obama 
Does anybody question whether or not Michelle Obama is going to be a top-tier option for the Democratic Party to replace uh, Joe Biden? The fact that she has no skill set for this whatsoever, no experience whatsoever, first lady for eight years is not experienced, and hey, what happened to your law license? I mean, there's a lot. I would argue that I don't think she wants it. I don't think she, she, she wants it. And I don't think everything she did as first lady w- was terrible. So, for example, if if we go back to the whole um, let's move conversation, wanting to get kids off the couch and exercise, I always thought that was totally fine. Like, that's a solid project and program for a first lady. I, I, I dig it. But then she coupled it with wanting to ensure that everybody got the same meal, as if somehow the freshman girl in marching band who plays flute eats the same as uh, the high school senior on the football team who plays, uh, you know, uh, pulling guard. These are different people with different needs, and you can't treat them one size fits all in a lunchroom. This was just wrong. She has said other things that, of course, I, I, I disagree with, but keep Michelle Obama in there. She's going to be a part of, of this, this mix. So Gavin Newsom could also be a part of this mix they do the debate last night gavin newsom and ron desantis sean hannity is the host he put it together he did a solid job i thought gavin newsom engages the following this continued lie this fraud that somehow joe biden has created 13 14 million jobs this is of course pablum he did not create 14 million jobs. He just didn't. And yet, you know, throughout this whole debate, there was uh, uh, Newsom praising Biden and praising the jobs so much so that even Hannity was like, what are you doing? Immigrants regressive taxes that advantage billionaires and millionaires over working families and the working poor. People in his state pay more taxes on the low end than we tax people on how, the high how end. That's paying a fact. $7 a, a gallon gas help working people. That doesn't help working people at all. <laughs> how does paying an 8% sales tax help working people? That doesn't help working people at all. Solid responses there from, from Ron DeSantis, but uh, that was just a small part of it. Uh, talking about how great the Biden economy is doing. And one of the things that Gavin Newsom talked about in, in, along with that clip was creating 13 million jobs. To which I pointed out on on uh, X there, on, on the Twitters, people being allowed to go back to work post-COVID is not job creation. The Biden team has been trying to sell this lie for the last two years. Because Newsom uh, tweeted out, uh, 14 million jobs have been created under Joe Biden. That's 10 times more than the previous three GOP presidents combined. It's not job creation. It's people going back to work, I agree, but it's not job creation. It just isn't that. And that's where I left it. Enter Michael Hicks, economist, Ball State University. Now, I don't know Michael Hicks. I know of Michael Hicks, but I don't know the man at all. I I have... uh, Never really uh, in, engaged with him. We've never had a detailed conversation. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. 
I don't think I've ever interviewed him on my shows. Maybe it's possible. I don't recall it. He responds to my post. My post was very simple. People being allowed to go back to work post-COVID is not job creation. It is a lie to say otherwise. He writes, there were no federal COVID restrictions on January 1st, 2022, when Joe Biden took office. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm with you there on the confusion. Hold on. Maybe you missed it. I'll get to it in a second. He continued, if there had been, I'm certainly, he wrote certainly, I'm certainly you'd thank the Biden administration for lifting the Trump era rules. Now, just as an aside, Joe Biden did not take office January 1st, 2022. But I don't know what he's talking about. The response is very awkward. I don't. I don't know what he's he's talking about. So I responded on 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 X with all due respect, Joe Biden did not take office on January 1st, 2022. I I I said he that's not when he took office. So somebody chimed in, uh hey Mike, when did Biden take office? And Mike Hicks responds, January 20th, 2021. But if you ask Tony, it was 2022. What? I didn't, I didn't say anything like this. Nothing like this at all. Not even close to anything like this. And when I wrote uh, that, you know, uh, this this thing about Biden did not take office January 1st, 2022, Michael Hicks, Ball State, writes back to me, or is Hillary president? Does fooling the rubes really pay that well? I ask again, are you calling the people who listen to this show on WMUN and Muncie? on WGCL in in Bloomington, on WIBC in Indianapolis, who listen on weekends on WoWo in Fort Wayne, MNC in South Bend? Are, are you calling these people rubes? And that's when I started asking, is your account hacked? And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Michael Hicks, is your account been hacked? What, what's happening here? The responses are are, are 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 nutty and unnecessarily rude and 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 they 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 don't connect to anything. No part of it makes sense. I have no idea what kind of what kind of thing he's talking about here. And I'm I'm hoping beyond hope it's not him. I'm hoping beyond hope that it is not him him that it's a staffer that it's somebody who got the account who is engaged it, none of it makes sense i mean who's engaged who's engaged in trying to i don't know being being silly let's say because if it's him i'm sorry just from an outsider's perspective this is crazy now what if and and, and here's uh, allow me to, to kind of bring it a little more full circle First, there's the idea that, look, people do get hacked. And even if it's someone you would disagree with, you can't assume because they put something out there, if it's, if it's out of character, you got to ask yourself, well, why? What, what does that mean? 
And so that is, to an extent, a little bit of grace, right? I didn't go right for the attack. I, I, I read it. I said, that doesn't sound right. The man could disagree with me about 900 things, but that didn't sound right. The response didn't sound right. Now, if it is him, if it is indeed uh, Michael Hicks um, uh, at, at Ball State, professor of economics and business research and director of the Center for Business Econ Research. Well, then I got to ask, can you explain your responses? Because that's odd. And let's start with the baseline. People going back to work is not the creation of jobs. I get that you're an economist. I get that I'm a radio host. But if... They couldn't go back to work, and now they can go back to work because you decided some business was um, non-essential, and now they're able to 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 be working again. That's not job creation. I that's my statement. We're arguing this. Hold on, we are arguing that letting people go back to their jobs is job creation. I have discussed that we have, over the last five weeks, seen a better market. And hopefully that means good things for, people, for people's 401ks. I, 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 we have seen, without, without question, that the inflation seems to be holding, not necessarily going down, although we did see some in the Eurozone, and maybe we'll see better tomorrows. The futures state that uh, the rates will go down by nearly a percent. Now, I don't think that's true, but people are trying to push a tremendous amount of optimism. And all we've done is report it, share that, because a crap-ass economy doesn't get us anywhere. Some people might argue that that's what you got to say because politically it's good, but realistically here's what's happening and here's what we see and we've seen now two reports uh, over the same month that show something better it's not a trend line yet as dr matt will economist at the university of indianapolis would engage that conversation and i can appreciate that let's see where things go over the next few months and maybe we'll see a better trend line one month does not uh the the, the full snapshot make We've discussed the fact that CBS News on the same day reported that the economy is going strong and it takes $11,000 more to live at the same standard in 2023 than it did in 2022. That was the same day they put both of those out. So we're always upfront and honest about what's going on. And if someone were to disagree with me on something, that would be totally fine. This was just weird. Because this wasn't disagreement. This was like anger going for the slam. By the way, when you're going for the social media slam, may I just say for the record, you need to get out more, maybe some dating, possibly more time with the wife or, 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 or the spouse, the partner, whatever uh, the case may be, whoever you may be. You got, if, if, if you're out there going for the slam on social media, like, yeah, I got him. Wow, you, you, you need therapy. You need therapy or you need sex, like in the worst way. It's whoo. That's that, that is, going for the slam on social media is no way to live. 
But that's what it looked like. It was super weird. And it seemed out of character. So that's why I brought it up. Could could it be possible that he's so angry with, with me that he just couldn't form a sentence? Possible. But I'd I'd rather assume that uh that he got hacked. That's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. I'm Tony Katz. So Rosalind Carter has passed away. Henry Kissinger has passed away. Charlie Munger, who of course was the right-hand man to Warren Buffett, passed away. And now Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman ever to be on the Supreme Court, passing away at the age of 93. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Complications related to advanced dementia, probably Alzheimer's, and a respiratory illness, this according to the Supreme Court. She had actually left the court to care for her husband, who was in poor health. And he died a few months later, and she she regretted leaving the court, as I know the story, because, well, now now what she was what she was going to do? What was she going to do? So it's an interesting story, an interesting woman. Uh, certainly all the best to her family. What a, what a week in terms of people passing away. My goodness. Find everything at TonyCats.com. We'll catch you Monday, everyone. Take care.